Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. As someone who has went to lots of doctor's appointments over the years supporting fellow autistics, I've learned there's such a long way to go to provide us with better health care. That's why I, when I learned about the organization Autistic Doctors International, I had to learn more. So today I'm thrilled to talk with the general practitioner co-lead of that organization, Dr. Becky Aykroyd, who joins this episode to discuss being a medical doctor, why waiting rooms are overwhelming, and the work of Autistic Doctors International. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Dr. Aykroyd, thanks so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Hello. I, I wanted to start out um, this conversation that I do with so many of these conversations and just learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? Well, I was thinking about this one. It's probably quite a tricky one to answer because obviously autism is lifelong, so there's never been a moment when I haven't been. Um, and it had been a kind of a bit of a... Not almost, almost a running joke with my housemates at university and things like that, um, that, you know, I was probably on the spectrum, but I was at medical school and everybody was a little bit quirky anyway, so <laughs> it never really kind of got any further. Um, but I think it kind of consciously became much more of my story towards the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, when I'd been having a lot of uh, mental health troubles, I went through a period of burnout, I had some time off work, and then... I think it was a Channel 4 documentary about Inside the Autistic Mind, um, which I was watching it and going, these people seem an awful lot like me. Hmm, maybe I'm autistic. And that kind of started a bit of exploration um, and kind of questioning and looking at lots of different websites and learning more and more about autism and women. Um, and that's when I kind of came to the conclusion, yeah, I think this really is me. Um, and asked to be put forward for um, formal diagnosis. Um, and it was about that time before I got my formal diagnosis that I first started to look out um, other autistic individuals, particularly on Twitter, which I joined when I was unwell, and I found a really supportive community there um, for doctors with mental health problems and things like that. Now, I learned about you through Autistic Doctors International, as you're part of their leadership team as the general practitioner lead. For those that may not be familiar with Autistic Doctors International, what's the mission of the organization? So um, we are a group of over 500 medical doctors all over the world, um, all of us ourselves autistic, some self-diagnosed, um, some formally diagnosed. Um, diagnosis is not a prerequisite for being part of the group. Um, but just having a medical license, essentially, to practice in whichever country you're in. Um, we have, yeah, as you said, a leadership team. Um, I'm one of the GP leads. I kind of co uh, 
um, share that role with uh, Mona. Um, we basically aim, we have kind of four key aims, which are support, advocacy, research and education. We know that autistic doctors bring different strengths to healthcare, um, which can benefit both neurotypical patients, but also autistic individuals. We aim to provide a safe uh, space where we can get peer support. So there are a number of private moderated forums, um, both on WhatsApp, uh, Facebook, um, those are the two main ones that we use. We do have a Discord channel, but we don't use it very much. It was just when there was that big outage of, of Facebook and WhatsApp, we were all like, oh, we can't communicate with each other. And we are active on um, other social media like LinkedIn or Twitter, but those don't have the same moderated safe space. So most of the conversations for peer support tend to be on Facebook or um, on uh, WhatsApp. Um, and then kind of we do research, um, a number of individuals are involved in research, um, which aims to improve autistic lives. Our focus is often on doctors and medical students, um, but we also look at how um, it may impact autistic individuals coming in as patients as well. Um, and we have published in a number of um, quite prestigious journals, including The Lancet. And then some education from a neurodivergence affirming, a neurodiversity affirming position, uh, education around autism, um, and that's for medics and for non-medics, all sorts and everything like that, aiming to improve the uh, recognition and acceptance of autism, both in the wider world, but particularly within healthcare, which can sometimes not be the most accepting of things. Definitely agree about that. Uh, maybe not the most accepting, um, but we'll get into that. So how can people learn more about Autistic Doctors International? So we have a website uh, which launched this year, um, which is autisticdoctorsinternational.com, um, snappily titled, um, where there is um, information on there. We also have a public-facing page on Facebook um, and a Twitter handle and a LinkedIn account. Um, any or all of those will provide you with a bit more information about us. And within our website, we also have a link tree with all of our publications on there as well. So um, if you want to see what we've published, it's all there. Now, one of the reasons I was excited to talk with you is because my father is a retired general practitioner. So I know just a tiny bit about uh, <laughs> general practice. So I'm wondering for you, what made you decide you wanted to become a medical doctor and specifically a general practitioner? The journey to general practice was quite a long one. So I'll start with the um, deciding to be a doctor. I think as long as I can remember, that's what I always wanted to do. I don't think I ever kind of thought of anything else. It was a kind of vocational drive. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I briefly considered being a detective. Um, I quite like the idea of kind of foraging out clues and um, putting them together. And as a medical doctor, that is a lot of what you do. Uh, you don't dust for fingerprints, but you kind of take your history, you do your examination and try and pick up each individual clue just in order to get to the diagnosis. Um, and that always appealed to me. Getting to general practice, though, took a while. So um, while I was in medical school, I thought I wanted to be a paediatric surgeon. Um, I even did rotations to that effect. But during my first couple of jobs, um, actually, I started to um, 
working in an oncology job that I really enjoyed and it was within that it was the palliative care stuff that really appealed to me so um, I decided to switch I didn't want to do pediatrics so I followed um, started a career in adult hospital medicine did spend a couple of years working in palliative medicine but kind of missed some of the diagnostic challenge so came back into the hospital um, started working in geriatrics found the ward work a bit too overwhelming spent some time doing some more palliative care before eventually realizing oh hang on I think I know what would be good for me would be general practice and so after being a doctor for nearly 10 years decided to retrain as a GP so yeah it was a bit of convoluted route but I got there eventually. Now I've heard from so many autistics after leaving appointments with their general practitioner feeling so discouraged because their needs are, are not met so I'm wondering in regards to this about the education to general practitioners in learning about the autistic experience. Where do you think we are in regards to this in 2022? Because for the last 20 years or so, when I've had these conversations with my with my father about, you know, the education, I, I left feeling not super impressed. Yeah, I think we're a, we're a lot further back than we really ought to be for 2022, very sadly. Uh, I think the perception of autism within medicine, uh, more broadly even than just general practice, is much the same as the perception it would be amongst the general public. Autism is, is the boy who plays with trains, or it's the Rain Man idea, the idea that, the ideas of masking, that um, you could be autistic and be a doctor, that sort of thing just isn't really filtering through yet. Starting to, um, and it is a bit of the kind of um, the subject of the day, so to speak, that um, it's becoming more prominent and there's more uh, awareness around neurodiversity. Um, the medical um, education field, postgraduate medical education, is starting to take notice of neurodivergence, but it seems mostly focused around dyslexia at the moment. Um, and for a while even that was stigmatized that could you possibly be a, be dyslexic and be a doctor so there's a lot further still to go there are pockets um and given that general practitioners are the second um most represented specialty within uh, autistic doctors international psychiatrists being the first most represented um we're out there we're kind of each of us kind of plugging away in our individual zones um trying to increase the education there some people are really part on it and really interested. Other people are very stuck in a kind of mindset. You can't possibly be autistic and a doctor. Or if you're autistic, you must be very high functioning. This, uh, yeah, that, that wonderful mythical label where you're like, no, you don't understand. Let's talk about function and support needs. And yeah, but every time it's a little bit more of a, an opportunity for education. The Royal College of General Practitioners in the UK has released an autism toolkit. It's has some flaws shall we say um and it's it has come very much from the, from the pathology model rather than um, a neurodiversity affirming model um so there's still work to do there um and it, it within most of the specialties is still lumped in with intellectual disability rather than being on people understanding that you don't have to have an intellectual disability they don't have to go together yes autism can co-occur with a learning disability or an intellectual disability but it doesn't always um, and actually far more often than not um, it, it exists on its own um, so a long way to go 
but I think we're starting to see some positive progress and some inroads. Um, there have been some positive publications uh, in things like the British Medical Journal. Um, they had a patient perspective recently with an autistic individual talking about her experience of, of general practice and some of the things that she'd found helpful. Um, so it's encouraging that it's not just us as well. We're not fighting this corner alone. So a long way to go, but I think we're getting there. <laughs> And like you said, a long way to go. Uh, I think we're getting there. So to, to get there, what would be your advice to general practitioners so they could provide better care to autistics in the future? I think seize every opportunity to uh, learn about autism, particularly from neurodiversity affirming groups. Take up offers of training, invite members of ADLI to come present. Um, GPs often have a half-day closure or protected learning time. Um, every month or every six months or so, we're always happy to come and talk about what it looks like, both for healthcare workers and for looking after patients. Um, one thing that I keep banging on about at our practice, we're um, going through some work towards hopefully having a new building because our current building is really not fit for purpose for the population we serve. One thing I keep banging on about is a separate waiting area because yeah, the waiting room can be the most overwhelming place when you're really stressed, trying to wait to see your GP. Just have a quiet room with some sensory stuff in it. It doesn't have to be anything too fancy. In fact, actually, the plainer and more boring the room, the better, the less sensory stimulation there'll be. Make sure that when you're speaking, that it's the basic principles of good communication. Somebody said that it's kind of like dementia-friendly environments. If you make a dementia-friendly environment there, it benefits everybody. It doesn't just benefit those with dementia. It's the same mm -hmm. with an autism-friendly environment. If you make an environment that's autism-friendly, everybody benefits. Nobody's going to lose out from it. Um, so it's basic communication skills. Listen to your patient. Be patient. Wait for them to, to finish their explanation. When you're giving your explanation, make sure you don't use idioms or metaphors or jargon. Um, and just make sure it's a nice, safe space. Try and see people face-to-face. -face. Obviously, with COVID, that's been really challenging. Um, but for lots of autistics, we need the nuances that an environment would give. Um, telephone can be really tricky. Uh, lots of us kind of literally run away when the telephone rings. Allowing email or text conversation, that means that it cuts out the auditory processing and can mean that you can read or reread it, that sort of thing. Examination can be a really anxious point. The whole touch thing, sometimes very light touch, can be really uncomfortable. Explain beforehand what you're going to do. Are there any things that they'd rather you didn't do? Or are there any things that are going to be more tricky for them? Ask about any sensory sensitivities. And before you even start, just make sure that the person's comfortable in the environment. Do you need to turn the fluorescent lights off? That sort of thing. Is there anything that you could alter in that environment there and then to make them more comfortable? I think those are probably some of the key things that I could think of off the top of my head. Just asking the individual, what might make this appointment easier for you? Particularly if that you, you ask that in advance, um, most people will have their autism, if it's been formally diagnosed, coded into their record, but not everybody will. Um, so anybody who has been seen with a mental health problem may benefit from the same sorts of adaptations and adjustments that you might offer. So just a, a quick text beforehand, lots of us use a program called AccuRx, which is attached to the DP record. You can send text messages out from it, allow replies. What might make coming to your appointment more e easier for you? What might make it more acceptable? 
what might be more tricky for you and just yeah give some if you give that send that a few days in advance give them some time to think and then you can be more prepared the waiting room is definitely overwhelming that there's yeah. no doubt about that and, and, you know, I've supported a lot of people in medical appointments. And one of the differences I've seen in having good experiences versus bad is just the doctor believing the experiences of the autistic person coming to the appointment. I don't know what can be done with that to for, for some people to learn to believe or not, but that's definitely something I've observed. Yeah, don't 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 believe House when he says everybody lies. <laughs> the autistics really don't. <laughs> but yeah, and actually, just thinking about that, just understanding that there may be hypo or hypersensitivity. So pain can be a difficult thing to quantify anyway. Um, and there's good evidence to say that the way doctors describe pain is not the way that patients describe pain. Um, trying to rate your pain out of ten, trying to describe pain. People aren't very good at that across the board. Um, so we sometimes need to modify our language in that. And to understand that an autistic individual may not display the same cues that you would expect from a neurotypical individual when they're in pain, when they're in discomfort. They may have something really quite serious going on, but look absolutely fine. Um, and it's, yeah, having a high index of suspicion and working with somebody to know what are their responses? Um, so I remember I saw a child in the emergency department with his mum. He was autistic, she was autistic, and talking to them and saying, you know, does he just, does he get a lot of pain? Um, and if he does injure himself seriously, and her saying, well, if he gets a paper cut, it, the world has ended, but he could have a, you know, he ran smack into a glass plate door, battered it off without a, how do you do, just kind of run off, continue playing. So understanding that meant that actually we had a bit more of a um, concern about whether he had broken his wrist um, and therefore we did go ahead with x-rays which did show a probable fracture but he was not responding in the same way that maybe um, a more neurotypical child might have done so yeah just understanding who they are can be really helpful now when i first found the autistic doctors international website one of the things that really jumped out to me was that there are five, over 500 uh, medical doctors around the world who are a part of Autistic Doctors International, which doesn't, doesn't surprise me in a way because autistic people are everywhere doing everything. But I think that, that means there are so many, probably more doctors out there that haven't probably disclosed that they're about their autism. So... Why did you decide to maybe disclose that you're autistic, if you did, and uh, were you concerned that would, would negatively impact your life? So I, I have disclosed, I've always been very open about uh, my diagnosis. I am, I've never felt any need not to disclose, I think. For me, it never felt like a, a big decision, but it helped that um, uh, Mary, who was the founder of Autistic Dots International, Mary Doshi, always talks about kind of there are two times when you might need to disclose either when you're in a really good place or when there are problems coming up and it, it helped that I was able to disclose into a, a, a good environment where, where I was well respected I'd worked in the area for several years people knew me I always um, had good reports that sort of thing so it wasn't I wasn't disclosing to explain myself or to try and mitigate um, against some kind of a disciplinary proceeding or anything like that um, and that 
drastically improves your experience of disclosing. If you're already known um, and respected and work well in a certain environment, and you're, then it's much, much easier to disclose. It can be harder if you are a doctor in difficulty, um, if there are, you have additional needs, if there have been problems in your practice, or if you are um, struggling. It can be much harder to disclose because it feels like this is all. These are all the things that are wrong with me. This is why I don't fit in this environment. Whereas for me, it was well, actually this is who I am. This is what makes me good at some of these things. My attention to detail. It was much more positive um, and didn't have to come from such a kind of pathology um, point of view. But every person is different um, and it will be different for each person. Um, when I came back off my period of, of time out with burnout um, and I'd been quite unwell, I kind of suddenly realised that we need a top-down disclosure approach to mental health problems. If the senior doctors aren't disclosing, um, if they aren't talking about it, if if it's only ever kind of all oh, patients get that, doctors don't get that, patients get that, mm. then it becomes more stigmatised, um, which reinforces that and it ends up in a really vicious cycle that if if we don't disclose then nobody else will disclose so actually openness means that somebody else who is also struggling may feel oh I can talk about my mental health problems too autism is not a mental health problem but may come along with mental health problems um, and so it felt the same for me with my autism actually if I feel I can disclose maybe that would help another trainee who has a diagnosis or maybe even doesn't have a diagnosis but has suspicions or has areas where they think oh, I'm really good at that but really not good at that and has that spiky profile well actually maybe I could talk to them about it maybe somebody could feel that there was a safe space for them to talk so that was a big part for me was actually if I'm open other people might feel more open and potentially medicine's a high stress, high stress career. If I'm open and somebody else feels they can talk to me rather than take more desperate action, that's only got to be a positive, really. And as I said at the beginning, there never felt like there was a reason for me not to disclose. So for me, it was always the kind of flip question rather than why would you disclose, kind of why wouldn't I? I know some individuals are much more concerned than I, both about talking about mental health problems and um and about being autistic. I think I might have also been a little bit naive. I was like, everybody likes me, it's fine. <laughs> Whereas, you know, that may not entirely have been the truth, but it didn't actually come back and bite me, um, which was good. Well, on the whole, it was a tiny issue in one of my posts, but we'll gloss over that for the moment. I think some people are in much more difficult environments um, where disclosure may be perceived badly um they may because of the, the the lack of knowledge and awareness of what autism looks like in doctors people might be like well you can't be autistic and be a doctor this is another reason um that we should shun you and get rid of you um and not be part of that and so for some people it is not right to disclose at the moment but for others if they can i'd really encourage them to because one more of us speaking up um could yeah be really valuable to others and just help reduce that stigma a little bit more and provide that a bit of education look you know me this is what autism looks like it's it's not what you know you think it looks like so talking about disclosure i read last year that you were part of a presentation that discussed the benefits of peer support for autistic general practitioners 
What specifically um, do you see as some of those benefits of that peer support? Yeah, so that was a poster presentation that um, a group of us collaborated on for um, the Royal College of General Practitioners, talking about the benefits that we had found um, within the um, ADIGP community. I can only really speak for myself and from what we wrote in that, I can't speak for every uh, ADIGP because each of us are different. But general practice can be quite isolating, it's just you in your room, but it it is that part of it that can often attract autistic individuals that kind of the not being in the busy ward environment can be quite helpful um which is i think why we come you know with quite a, a major uh, proportion of those of abi um training can be really hard um there can be a lot of hoop jumping lots of things that don't make logical sense which can really irritate um, the autistic when you were kind of going why do i need to do this thing this doesn't make any sense so having other individuals there going oh this is really hard going yeah i feel you sometimes just somebody else is going through this i'm not on my own just finding your tribe um i think when i first joined adi that was just mind-blowing for me i was like i found these people they're just like me they totally get me all these weird quirks that you know everyone else is like oh you're a bit odd um they're not odd they're autistic they're great um yeah so it was just suddenly this kind of like wow this whole world exists and all these people are, are just like me i'm not on my own again it was just so encouraging and i think that's probably one of the biggest things that i've found is there are other people like me they have similar struggles to me you know we work in similar ways our brains just mesh in certain ways and general practice is a stressful career it's a high proportion of burnout you're dealing with a, a lot of people um, a, a lot of different situations some of which you can fix and some which have medical or psychological um ill health that you can help with but there's also the ongoing issues of deprivation poverty social isolation things that we can't fix um, and that can often burden us and just having a safe space to decompress people who get it people who can say well I tried this and this really helped and this reasonable adjustment might work for you or I did this I spoke to this person just sharing knowledge um, it can be really really useful so we're an international group so not everything will be cross applicable but somebody else in in your country might be able to go oh there's this uh, route that you can get some extra funding for this or there's um, this group who can really help or I tried doing this with the software or I made sure that my practice manager knew this and then you kind of think oh actually I could do that maybe that would help in my practice so just kind of sharing ideas sharing support um, those have been some of the most valuable things um, and those are the ones that people have often fed back when we were talking about um, that in that poster presentation as well. Well, Dr. Aykroyd, I really appreciate your valuable time. Um, thanks for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. I think a lot of our listeners will be very interested in this based on a lot of their medical experiences, and hopefully some doctors as well will be listening and can, I'm sure, appreciate your insight. I really hope so. I really hope there are doctors uh, listening there. And yeah, I hope it's encouraging for autistic patients that we are starting to head in the right direction, at least. Thanks so much to Dr. Aykroyd for the conversation. To learn more about Autistic Doctors International, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. 
If you're looking to have your needs better met at doctor's appointments, then the coaching of Autism Personal Coach may be just the thing that you're looking for. We help our clients get their needs met at these appointments by helping them to plan for these appointments and to advocate for their needs and any accommodations they may need once they are at these appointments. If this is something that you're interested in, then please visit AutismPersonalCoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it, so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.